Well, for those of you that were listening closely, Paul, passage in Romans, is loved by psychoanalysts and psychiatrists and counselors because he finally got it right. He used I statements. (laughs) Katie Jarman handled it very well because as I read the passage, I kept tripping over the I do and I don't and I, I, I and, and another I. But it's ownership of his responsibility to God's will. That's critical for us to realize. Because in that passage, he's talking about the clash of will and action. What I will and what I do sometimes are not the same thing. But it's about him. It's not projecting that someone else is causing him to do these things, but it's about him. I remember in therapy, when I was asked to do I statements, how quickly I tripped over I to you, quick, and I was always able to sort of blame away my behavior. The therapist was very thorough, very kind, extremely considerate, until I finally got it straight that it was my issues that I was dealing with, not somebody else's. Then we come to the passage, the gospel. This is very difficult because as I read through the gospel three or four times, it seemed like every time there was something I didn't understand and there were other things that seemed easy for me to preach on. But then I would go back and look at the issues that I was struggling to avoid. And I was able to find some help in doing some research. And I found some comments by others to help me to glean perhaps what Jesus was about in this particular passage. It's fortuitous that we're doing a baptism and we're talking about children because one of the people that I studied, Newton Davies, said something about the nature of this passage was the parable of children's games or playing. You look at the passage closely, one group was talking about the wedding the other group about the funeral. And the frustration by both was that the wedding people trying to get other people to dance and be merry, it didn't work. Those who were playing the the funeral, the mourning, they couldn't get people to mourn. So they were frustrated. And Jesus draws upon these two pairs polls to actually point out something about John the Baptist and himself. Because in John the Baptist, he was asking for repentance of sins and caused a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety and frustration. So the easiest thing for people to do is dismiss him by saying he has a demon. And Jesus, on the other hand, who mingled with people who went to their homes, ate the food with them, 
and gave them a sense of peace. Those who found it difficult to deal with his reality of being with those people, those people being the less fortunate, the dying, all of the people who needed caring for, they dismissed him by in the passage here saying that Jesus was the drunkard. He, would, he, has, he was involved in gluttony, drunkardness, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, so that was dismissed also. So by talking about the children's games, he was also pointing out how the people were reacting to the call to repentance and also the call to be lovers of others. Both John and Jesus were dismissed by the common person because they were either possessed by a demon or, in fact, they were gluttons and drunkards. What's interesting to me is both of these characters, in fact, represent the nature of God's presence with us. As we seek to understand and instruct a child in baptism, we need to look at both of these issues. One of the points that Davies raised was that there are four aspects of this particular gospel that need to be understood about our human characteristics. This is where it gets very difficult because I identify with most of the human characteristics he was talking about. He starts off by saying that humans are willfully stubborn in their character. It's my way or the highway. He also said that it illustrates the fatal tendency in humans to dislike the unusual or unconventional because everyone should fit into a mold or a model which would be more the majority. A friend of mine once said, it's better to conform than believe. The third is the fatal flaw to discount or belittle distinguished characteristics of public people, men and women. Just as John and Jesus were dismissed because of a feeling that their call was something that required either too much or couldn't connect with the normal people. The last one was the flaw of Jesus because he loved humanity and befriended the outcast and the hated. A task which I'm sure none of us have a problem with ourselves. And yet that's what we're calling this child to be aware of in the baptism. That those are the people that need to be nurtured and loved and cared for. It is hard for us to get past our own human foibles. Our own reluctance 
to see things in a broader dimension. And I want to turn to a few words that I found from Stanley Saunders, a bi- an associate biblical professor in Georgia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he would appreciate it too. He says, one group of these children wants to play wedding, but can't get the others to dance when the tune is piped. The other group wants to play funeral, but they can't get the others to mourn with them. Mourning and dancing coincide with the differing casts of John's and Jesus' ministry. Just as some refuse to repent when challenged by John, so too they refuse to join the celebrations of Jesus, a man, a glutton, and a drunkard. The children all just sit, hurling their bitter invectives against one another. This becomes a new game. Sound familiar? Contemporary politics has made us very similar indeed with the game of reducing complex issues to ideals and platitudes, picking aside and yelling at one another. Regrettably, the contemporary church, especially the Protestant church, is often on the cutting edge of this game. We have a long history of division over ideals, doctrines, and the quest to preserve a pure tradition. And when we divide, many of us want to put ourselves, pat ourselves on the back, playing the game so absolutely well. In this posturing, we forget that the game to which Jesus called us is about discerning, turning toward, and bearing witness to the work of God in the world. Jesus' statement that wisdom is justified by her deeds directs us to pay closer attention to the results of our actions. Even as we consider who Jesus is, and what his ministry is about. Is he just a rebel? Mostly interested in crossing social boundaries and breaking taboos? Is he a defender of tradition and right doctrine? Or do his actions demonstrate divine presence and power? Does Jesus even at play reveal God at work? Jesus' prayer sermon in in chapter 11, 25 through 30 identifies those who are most likely to be attuned to God's work in the world, the babies rather than the wise and the understanding. Jesus mocks those who claim for themselves wisdom and intelligence, most immediately the leaders and elites who oppose Jesus but really those of any age or generation whose wisdom blinds them to what God is really doing. End of quote. He's laid the table open for us. The interesting part is that in this narrative, in this gospel passage, 
He is asking us to be lovers, to walk in the path of love. As we encourage this child in baptism to be a lover of others, not to be caught up in the human frailties that all of us suffer, but rather to be supported by God's love, that she, in fact, can find not only a sense of love and purpose, but a direction that is, reflects the wisdom of babes. Often when I see children on TV and they do various ads, I'm caught sometimes by the ability for some of the photographers and uh, the people with the camera to pick up on this spontaneous, absolute joy of the world. They're not deterred by the pains, the trials, and the tribulations of everything around them. But when they see a dog that comes up and licks them in the nose, they become spontaneously joyous. This is the kind of wisdom that Jesus is saying. That if God's love and word is a part of our life, we will spontaneously love that and rejoice in it. Not to fetter ourselves away by, well, this doesn't cover that, and this doesn't protect us from this, and this doesn't make sense to me because I should know what's right and wrong, but rather to be in the joy of God's presence. That's what we're asking for this child to be baptized into, to be instructed in the faith that gives her joy and permanence and love. The gift of being a babe, the overjoyment of life itself, and the God's gift of love should be this basis for which all of us make our lives helpful and in the path of God. And I hope that each one of us daily will find that moment when we're in fact awed by the very grace of God's love in our midst either through the eyes of another, through working with a person that's through pain and toil, and suddenly you see God's nuance and love for you and that person permeating that relationship. It's this to what we're called, not to be caught in that human condition where we can discount and dismiss others, but rather to take on others, to engulf ourselves in the loving relationship of all people. All people. Not those that we select, but rather those that we meet on the street. I'm looking forward to seeing my granddaughter who arrives this evening. Her life and her love have taught me much about living. When she called last, last two Sundays ago to wish me a happy birthday, all I could do was just bubble up in tears because she's so spontaneous and so connected to the love of life through song and dance and playing 
not because she's trying to improve or change anybody else, but rather simply for the rejoicing in the power of love that she finds in those forms. I hope and I pray that all of us this week will find those moments of joy in our life when we can light up in God's love. Amen.